Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. What's going on, everyone? This is the Go Along Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you've been enjoying all these episodes in your feed and join the newsletter, golongtd.com for all features, all profiles, all columns, Q&As. Uh, we're ramping it up 2022 right around the corner. So uh, if you don't want to miss a story, subscribe any day, anytime, right at the website and you can get everything delivered right to your email inbox, everything at golongtd.com and also the new Substack app. So a huge, huge thank you to everybody who does subscribe. Greatly appreciate you. And if you're checking us out for the first time, you can give us a whirl whenever it's best for you. All right, on this episode, my old pal, Tom Silverstein. He is one of my best friends in the industry, and for my money, it's not even close. He's the best Green Bay Packers beat writer going. He's there in Wisconsin, and he gives us the goods on Leroy Butler's Hall of Fame induction. He knows Leroy well, as well as the new look Green Bay Packers trying to win with defense. Is this going to work? We asked Tom, and a lot of it still has to do with the quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Thanks, everyone. All right, I'm thrilled to welcome on one of my best friends in the biz in life, Tom Silverstein, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, PackersNews.com. We worked together for four and a half years, I want to say, Tom, and it was just uh, an honor. <laughs> right, right. A lot longer. Was it that bad? Was yeah. Was it that bad it working great. alongside me there? No, no, it was great, <laughs> but... Uh... I miss having you over there, but I read all your stuff and I'm a loyal subscriber like everybody else should be. So keep up the good work. Oh, I I appreciate that, Tom. I mean, it was, uh, God, those four and a half, five years, whatever it was, it just was humbling to work with you and Bob every day and Lori Nickel to just see how you guys do it and the experience you have and just the, um, the ferocity, the tenacity, and like the thoroughness of how you cover a team. It's, it's kind of lost, you know, not, not to get in the weeds too far that direction, but I don't think you really see that on beats anymore. It's, you know, the, I want to say a younger generation. It's, it's like, you know, whatever you're tweeting and memeing and jiffing and you just got to sound cool on Twitter and pander here and there. And you're, you're, you're set up pretty good uh, on a lot of beats, but that was never you, never Bob. And, and you guys, to show me how it's done, it was – I'm forever indebted, that's for sure. Yeah, well, we were old-school newspaper guys, and, you know, I think I've transitioned a little better than Bob did to the uh, online social media thing. <laughs> but, but um, you know, it, it still comes down to telling the story and, you know, finding out things that – really are happening behind the scenes and not just giving you the, you know, whitewashed version of everything. And, and, you know, the one thing the, um, that's kind of changed in 
newspapers and online is that you, there's more, uh, there seems to be more um, possibility for analysis. And that's kind of something that, you know, I've been able to do more of, and I really enjoy that, you know, the, the football aspect of it. I like writing about all the behind the scenes business part of it too, but um, just being able to kind of use your, your knowledge, your experience, um, all the things you've seen, you know, um, I haven't even figured out how many games I've covered, but, you know, you start to see things over and over again and, and it becomes, it's kind of ingrained and you, and you're able to do analysis on it. You did that. I, I want to say you pioneered a lot of that though, for all the beat coverage on any team with the, the, the chats, like the end game chats with, with fans. I mean, really you started doing that. What year? Tom? Well, you know, what's funny is, Greg Bedard actually started that. And well, and then Cliff Crystal, um, the legendary Cliff Crystal in this market, started it. And then Greg kind of grew it. And then I took it over and um, just kind of connected with people. And it just became something that we, we really, it just kind of blossomed. It became as the, as the social media and online arena opened more it it became pretty big um it's 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 different if i could show you what it was like to do like i i think someone should come and spend 20 well it would be three hours of three and a half four hours of live block you'd be shocked to see what it's really like because some of the comments are just off the wall um it's it's fun you know you get to banter but you know you just have to you have to walk people off ledges you have to keep from consistently wanting to fire people and it's it's so funny because you know i consider myself to be kind of cranky and and um sort of critical hypercritical but I end up being the one who's like defending the Packers because these people are like just irate whenever something bad happens. It's you really get a sense of what the fan um, perspective is. And I try to, I try to change that. I want, I want them to look at it more analytically. And um, so I try to do that. I would pop in there. I want to say like, at, at the end of the quarters in halftime, maybe. And you're right. It is like its own world. It's like almost back in the day when we were on AOL instant messenger, right before you could text your friends. And it was like this alternate universe of just, you became this other person, the way you message with your friends. It's like that, but, but with Packer fans, just one, everybody fired, everybody to die, everything to change in the middle yeah. of a game. And then the game could turn and then everything would be happy at the end. But Oh, yeah, the very first drive, the Packers give up uh, a touchdown. And it's like, what is this, the Tom Capers defense? You know, a same thing every year. We suck on defense, you know, and you're like, it's the first drive of the game, man. I mean, just on. Okay. You should just for fun go the other direction. Be like, yeah, you know, this is this is awful. Like, you should really just 
Yeah, that's true. I could do that. And then they'd be all over me like, oh, you're so negative. You, know? <laughs> you can't win. You can't win. So you just got to be yourself. That's pretty much what you have to do. But there are nights I come home, like after a night game, and I want to just like crawl into a hole and like never talk to anybody again because the <laughs> it's just been so uh up and down and you know people are frustrating and it's but all in all I have a lot of fun and I have a lot of followers who are regulars and they're really fun they know the rules and they they kind of police the the blog so um it it can be really a lot of fun and I hope it's uh a good supplement for people who are watching it on TV and don't want to listen to the announcers well, this is a good segue too for for what we want to get into, Spoon. But like you, the, another way, I think you've just kind of changed the game and, and and how the sport should be covered. I mean, you've done the X's and O's videos with Leroy Butler for how many years? Yeah, he he asked me that the other day, and I was like, man, we we started this pretty pretty not too long after he retired, which was in right. 2001 or after 2001 season and I would say by 2005 2003 maybe we were doing it um it kind of started when he was playing and um when they went to the Super Bowl in 96 he did like a daily diary with me and it was really fun. I would just call him up. One time I, got, I went up to his room, his, him and Edgar Bennett, you know, like, I don't think the Packers, you know, they wouldn't have been too happy, but he's just like, yeah, come on up. And so I, I went up to his room and we did it there. And um, it's just been, he's, he's just a really um, aware guy who understands the role of the media and, and how to use it. And, He's the smartest player I ever covered. I mean, he is hands down. Um, he just knew the game so well. And uh, so when we go on the sexes and O's, we pick a play. Usually I pick it. And then I ask him, okay, let's break this down. What happened? You know, what's going on here? And it's really fun. He's you know, then he uses his knowledge and schools me, and I've learned a lot from him. So you can, if people are wondering what we're talking about, it's a video we do every Tuesday during the season um, called X's and O's with Leroy Butler. And we also do five questions where we just talk about the state of the team that week. Um, and he's, he's up on everything. It's not like he doesn't know the league. Like he he watches games. He knows stats he he's i don't know how he does it because all he does is promotional appearances all through the state i mean he's right. like king and he's you know he's got his leap vodka you know yeah. like it's a big deal for him and his brats and the guy never stops i i don't know he's he's got a great business going i don't know how he fits everything into 24 hours because as you know tom like you could call Leroy up and he'll just drop everything and talk to you for an hour like I've yeah. talked to him as he's going to the bank, as he's picking up his kids, and yeah. it's, it, it, and he's doing this simultaneously while he's 
breaking down like Shannon Sharp for my tight end book or we're talking about the, the old days of the Packers in the 90s. He, his brain, it, it is operating at a different level. He is unbelievably yep. bright. Yeah, I, I've i talked to him more times in the drive through where he's been in the drive through than probably any other place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot and um, he goes through the drive throughs a lot. He does. So, but it's always funny. Like he'll have his daughter back in the day when his daughters were younger, he'd have them in the back and they, you could just hear them, you know, and, and he's like, you know, shooting the ball with them and then hang on a second, you know, and then <laughs> we'll get back on with them. So, but yeah, he, he's, he, I, I don't know how he does it. And he's like nice to everybody. That's the part that blows me away because I'm like, I can be nice for like three minutes and then I get bored and I don't <laughs> bored with people. And, and he's just like nice all the time. I think it's, it, it's kind of what he's been through, right? I mean, he's in a wheelchair. He doesn't know if he's going to walk again. He's growing up in just this dark, dark pocket of Jacksonville, all that stuff kind of mixed together, right? Where he's just got this perspective and he gets to the hall of fame. You were there in Canton to, to see us, his induction speech. What, what was that like? And, and just how overdue was this for Leroy Butler? Well, um, yeah, it was, it was really um, fun. It was, he, he, um, it, this meant so much to him, you know, I, I think it validated his career for him. And while he was, you know, he was, if you think about it, he was voted by the hall of fame, panel is the safety of the 1990s so and you know they picked him over darren woodson and merton hanks and um you know there were a lot of good safeties john lynch back then and all those guys made it ahead of him you know and i think there was something you know i think that really hurt him and he everything just worked out perfectly this year because the class wasn't that strong. They had just gotten in um, John Lynch and he was way better player than John Lynch. There, oh. Nobody would deny that. I don't think. Um, John Lynch is on TV so, a lot and he's the GM of a team spoon. So, you know, yeah. he's front center. But anybody who ever saw him play knew he couldn't cover anybody, you know, he could hit. He's great. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, it, it, I think that it just fell into place. There's some guys it doesn't fall into place. It's like the best year they might have for it. There's like five other guys who are so good that you can't get in. You just can't get in. And it just happened to be that this was a year where the, you know, the number of guys were, that were just slam dunks weren't as high. So he got in and it's, you know, I think it's well-deserved. So for people who might be a little younger, that don't remember like his, um, his impact on, on the Packers, that defense, how he was able to cover on the back end yet play near the line of scrimmage and blitz. And how, how did he just kind of revolutionize that safety position? And, and what did he mean to uh, those Packers teams? I mean, that was the, the team, that was a, that was a Renaissance team. I and mean, that team was dead for three decades and then he was part of waking it up. Yeah. So he came in and they started him out as a corner 
and he was playing corner under um, Hank Bola. Um, his first two, three years. And then um, Ray Rhodes came in and Ray Rhodes recognized right away that this guy could be, um, you know, a tool that he could use in all different kind of ways. And he especially liked him as a blitzer. He felt like um, bringing him down into the box, he was really... Um, he, he, if he didn't blitz him, he could recover and cover a tight end. He was a legit four, four guy. He never looked like it, you know, and I mean, he's still a little bit pigeon toed, you know, and that's what had gotten him in those braces, but he was a legit four, four guy, um, in the height of his career. And so he could, he could run with any tight end. He could run with backs. He was, a uh, uh, superb tackler. You know, he was just a, he, if you were teaching how to tackle, he, you would watch him, you know, he just broke down, knew when to, um, when to fire at a guy's legs. You know, he knew exactly the distance you had to be before you took your shot at a guy. He knew, um, in coverage, um, when to look for the ball. You know, he studied the receivers and and knew when um, the ball was coming based on where where they were. He knew how close he needed to be when he was running with a guy or where, um, you know, how far away he knew. He he says this all the time, you know, um, deep to short, deep to short, you know, like never give up anything over your head. And he did. And he always was very disciplined in that way. But really, the blitzing is what separated him. Ray Rhodes got him started on that, and then Fritz Shermer took it to another level. Well, the defense got better, you know, with Reggie White and Sean Jones and Santana Dotson and Gilbert Brown. That front four was tough to deal with. And then all of a sudden you got Butler, and he would blitz from the weak side, which nobody did back then. And for... You know, you go back and look at some of the playoff games against the 49ers and he would sack Steve Young from behind because they just didn't, for whatever reason, they, they, you know, didn't think weak side blitzes worked. So um, he would just come really fast and and get guys. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, um, he was, he was a different kind of player. I'm not sure. You know, you think about a guy like Denz, uh, like um, the guy in um, San Diego or in with the Chargers, Denzel Ward. Um, yeah, Der, Der, Derwin James, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, Derwin James. Denzel Ward's the corner in Cleveland. Um, Derwin James. You know, he's that kind of a guy. Yeah. Um, but Butler also, you know, he was healthy all the time. He he was just. Then he was a leader, and you just don't see too many guys like that anymore at safety. That Super Bowl loss to the Broncos kind of tells you everything you need to know about Leroy, too, right? I mean, Mike Shanahan prioritizes Butler, you know, not Reggie White, Butler to to, to neutralize that defense. And um, it worked, and it took a while for Green Bay to kind of figure out what they were doing, you know, using Shannon Sharp as a decoy, all that stuff, but – uh, yeah, good to see him finally get his due, long, long overdue. The Packers today, uh, boy, 
I don't know what, what we dig into, Tom, for a little bit, but it's a team that lost Devontae Adams that was trying to win with defense. Um, you don't really see that often in Wisconsin. I'm thinking back to training camps and covering it with you guys and the ball's just moving up and down the field, all these receivers. It's fun. It's explosive. And I'd imagine a training camp practice this summer just looks different. The defense, I'm guessing this by all reports dominating and they are you to that that's needed. Like in January, that's how you have to win. They needed this, this transformation to try to win a different way because what, what they've been trying for a decade hasn't been working. Right. It's, you know, and you look at it in reality, the last couple of Super Bowls, you know, it always seems to shift like um, teams, you know, who are high powered offenses all of a sudden win a couple of Super Bowls in a row. Well, New England just wins, but, um, you know, it, it's something like that, you know, like Doug Peterson's Eagles, you know, they're all innovative with all motion and all kinds of stuff. And, RPOs. you know, Andy, Reed, yeah. And Andy Reed with, you know, all his offensive magic and stuff, but then, you know, now you see like the Rams winning with, you know, Matthew Stafford and Tampa Bay winning with um, that defense which is phenomenal and the 49ers winning with defense, you know, and all of a sudden it's like defense and special teams are sort of what the answer is right now, because you got so many good quarterbacks. You've got to figure out a way. Every team can move the the ball up the field. So who can stop them though? You know, and that's always been green Bay's problem. They couldn't stop them. And they're never, they always short shrifted special teams. You know, it was just a weakness of uh, Ted Thompson when he was GM, because I often think that he just couldn't get over the model that he was a special teams player who was a nobody. And so he just wanted a bunch of nobodies, you know, draft picks (laughs) to play special teams and thought they could do that. But the Packers notoriously never paid for special teams coaches. Um, they blew it. They had a chance to get Darren Rizzi, who was probably the best special teams coach in the NFL, and they lowballed him, and he he laughed at him. I mean, he was ready to come up and work with Lafleur his first year, and so finally, you know, they they realized their mistake after special teams killed him in the playoffs last year, and they got a punt block. They hired Rich Basaccia for probably made him the highest paid special teams coach in the NFL. And now, um, and then Gutekunst surprises everybody and takes two guys from Georgia, two defensive players from Georgia in the first round. And, you know, that's not what people expected. You know, he he didn't take a receiver in the first round. Well, that's the Packers' history. They never take receivers in the first round. But he built on that defense, and I think that was a smart move. Their defense looks really good. They're They've got depth in the secondary. They've got two guys. They've built themselves to be like that Tampa Bay, like the old San Francisco defense where you never had to come out of nickel. You had the two inside linebackers, and they just dropped back, and they could run like nobody's business. And and anything that was thrown in front of them, they just crashed down. And um, I I think they built that. And – their pass rush is pretty good. Rashawn Gary's kind of turning into a, um, a legitimate pass rusher. So they've got 
depth and they've got speed and they got some talent. Now, you know, offensively, they got a lot of question marks. You know, they don't have Devonte Adams and you don't replace that with one guy. You're going to have to figure out a way to, to replace him. And this, to me, this is the key to the whole season. They've got two really good running backs, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon and two different style of running backs. They have to count those guys as their uh, offensive weapons as opposed to all these wide receivers and use them. So it's going to be incumbent on Aaron Rodgers not to change the play every single time they come up, you know, to change from run plays to uh, pass plays. He's going to have to stick with some run plays because their run running backs are pretty good. Right. There's two playbooks in town. I mean, there's, there's Matt LaFleur's and then there's Aaron Rodgers's, and that's not a, it's not a slight, right? Obviously, the things that he's changed to have worked because he's got Devontae Adams out there. They played together eight years. They're seeing the same thing. They've got that that, that telepathic connection, but that, that's gone. So is he going to yeah. stick with those run calls that come in? Because Matt LaFleur is probably thinking chess, right? This is going to lead to that, to this, to that. He's trying to set stuff up through the course of a game. Is the quarterback going to buy in? Yeah, well – now all of a sudden, Andy, you assume you're going to have a better special teams unit. So now field position is a factor. You know, the old special teams coach made a great point last year, which is when you got these great quarterbacks like Rodgers and um, Favre, you know, special teams gets devalued because generally they're moving the ball. They're going to move the ball somehow. They may not score every time, but they're going to get across the 50 and, you know, coverage and stuff, it just, it's different. You know, you're not playing the field position game where, okay, you're putting them deep into their um, territory, expecting your defense to play really well, and then you get the ball back at the 50. You know, instead you're like, well, we're on the 30 and it's third and 10. Let's take a shot downfield, you know, because that's just what we do. And it it's going to be different and it'll be interesting to see if he can play um that style especially in the playoffs i think that's where we won't we won't really know about that until they get to the playoffs assuming they make the playoffs um you know that's to me when all that stuff really counts is can you get a first down uh can you get field position in your in your advantage instead of having to go, you know, three and out and it's, or get to third and 10 and you have to go downfield, you know? So I, I think that'll be a really interesting thing to watch. Such a fantastic breakdown. You're, you you can see it in the playoffs. There's going to be that, that thought process of you wanting to press, wanting to make a play, wanting to be that four-time MVP and, We'll see. I see. I say the same thing here in Buffalo with the coaching. Like we can't really judge the Bills until they get into January. And is Sean McDermott going to take the chip shot field goals again? Is he going to melt down with 13 seconds again? How how does he kind of respond to that moment that's been difficult for him? Um, well, we'll find out with Aaron Rodgers here in January. He'll be there again. Yeah, and and you know, 
you can't say it's hard to say that any game comes down to one play, but when the guy, when you've got the MVP of the league and there's a play to be made, you expect it to be made. So, you know, the last two years, they get down to inside the 10 yard line and they got three tries and they can't score. And LaFleur ends up kicking the field goal, which he probably shouldn't have. But at the time I didn't have that much of a problem with it. Then last year you got this, I believe it was third and 10 and Rogers throws to Devonte Adams deep. He's double covered. And, Alan Lazard is cutting across the middle of the field wide open, nobody covering him. And he might have taken it all the way, or he'd have gotten down to where they could have scored and probably won the game. So uh you know, your your superstar players have to make those plays. And the last two years that hasn't happened. So I, I this, you know, this could be Roger's last shot. I, I I sort of think it is. Um, he he may be able to. I, I believe he could play several years. Looking at him now in camp, he looks the same. So, athletically, he's fine. His arm is still live. He can still move around. Um, I, I don't think he's losing. He's not falling off the cliff. Uh, so he could play a number of years. The question is, you know, how long? will he play for the Packers and how long can they afford him? And when do they decide they got to go, you know, with someone else? So that, you know, I, I would, I think this is a year to year thing. And um, so he's got, I think everybody has to treat it like it's his last year. $150 million for one year. I mean, you want to talk about Super Bowl or bust. Whew. It's a lot be, of money if you retired. Yeah. Well, you know, the way this thing is structured, it's, it's to me, it's a one-year deal or it's a three-year deal. If they commit to him to next year, uh, his salary cap numbers go so high that you almost have to keep him the third year because if everything accelerates, it's just his cap number is going to be like $70 million. So that's why I kind of think they have to make a decision this year. Yeah. Are they going to keep them for two more years or are they going to just move on? So that's why I kind of look at it as a one-year deal. Wow. Well, before, uh, before we lose you, Tom, thanks for hanging out way longer than uh, I uh, told you we could talk here. So uh, you, you probably got live chats to get to and lawns to cut. And preseason. <laughs> the receivers, um, God, I mean, who, who just pops to you? Obviously, it's the summer of Romeo, right? That's all. That's all we've been seeing and reading. But is the hype justified? Is there is there another guy that we should be talking about a little bit more? Who, who out of that pack has, has looked good to you at training camp? Yeah. So uh, Dobbs has stood out, and he's a big receiver. He's. I wouldn't say he's MVS. Um, he doesn't have that kind of speed, but he's sort of that big, tall receiver who can do more than just run straight down the field. He really is good off the line of scrimmage. Um, he's got really good hands, decent speed. Uh, he's just 
it, it's just everything's going to be a learning process for them. And, you know, we've seen it. I, I did a uh, I went back and looked at how many thousand yard rookie receivers there have been. And it's it's not many. It's like I think it was like 11 in the last 15 years or something like that. You know, and Jamar Chase is is the exception to the rule. And and he's the was the what the number six pick or whatever, and Dubs is a fourth round pick, so you can't expect him to be a thousand yard receiver. I I think he can be part of the solution. I think the guy to that could have a big bearing on their season is Amari Rogers. I think that's a guy who they had a lot of hope for last year, and he was too heavy. He couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. He he really struggled with confidence and he's lost about 20 pounds and he looks really good. He catches everything. Um, you know, he's a slot guy. He's a Randall Cobb type of player, but I think he, he might be a little better ru- uh, route runner than Cobb and um, he's stockier and probably a little better after the catch. So that's a guy to watch. I think, I think a lot depends on him this year because um you know they don't really cob is their slot but he can't stay healthy you know and he's getting old i you know i know they would like to get something out of sammy watkins and you know him well um but he's he's been really slow to get going because i mean he didn't think he was even going to be playing this year He, he was sitting at home like okay i guess i'm done and eating a lot of Doritos or something. And, and so he's working his way back into shape. Um, I'm not even sure, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's early. It's just one of those things where it could be like a Devin Funches last year where they thought they were getting a guy who could help them. And then they just decided let's go with the young guys. But right now that's all they got in terms of veterans. I mean, Alan Lazard's going to be, their number one receiver and he's a good player, but he's not going to make anybody forget about Devonte Adams. Uh, I think they'll have to pick, they'll, they'll be scouring the waiver wire for guys, the trade market, maybe even get in on Odell Beckham when he's healthy. You know, they were in on him last year. They didn't want to pay him anything. Um, but uh, they could get back in on him again. That's interesting that, you know, if after missing out on him last year, that could be maybe, maybe the second time's the charm and they just kind of. Yeah. Well, you know, at the time they had Devontae Adams. So why would you pay a huge amount of money for him? Um, and you didn't know exactly how he was going to be, what he was going to be like in the locker room. And so they offered, they offered him the minimum and he got an incentive-laden deal with the Rams and, and took it. So will he hold that against them this year? Maybe, you know, but it, I think it all depends on how the season goes, you know. I don't care what Aaron Rodgers says. Green Bay, Wisconsin's a good place to live, too. I get, give, me, uh, give me those curds and, you know, Miller Lite's basically currency out there. You can yeah. hang out with Kyle Kusno down at Fox Harbor. What's that? You're a total Green Bay guy. <laughs> there was a moment there. Honestly, I remember, look, we probably talked about it, where 
Um, even though I'm from Western New York and that magnetic pole was always kind of there. It's like, I started looking at places, your know, townhomes, houses to buy, you know, I was like, this, I could see myself here long-term. It's, it, it's an amazing place to live. The people are just phenomenal. I mean, you can just walk, walk into a bar and make 10 new friends. So yeah, I don't know why Odell wouldn't want to sign there. Yeah. That's, it's a great place to live. Yeah. Well, some of us who've grown up in major metropolitan cities aren't as enamored with it as you are. <laughs> yeah. My, my driveway was a mile long and we had no neighbors and, you know, grew up in the woods. So maybe, maybe that's it, Tom. That, that, that probably is it. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. It is a pleasant place. Um, people are nice. People are Wisconsin friendly and, um, you know, it's cheap. It's cheap to live there. You can yeah. you can buy a lot of house in Green Bay. You know, my Especially rent was seven fifty for a two bedroom right on the in down downtown on the river. It's yeah, pretty, pretty nice. Right on the river. <laughs> yep. Oh man, the good old days. Being in your mid twenties and having that bounce back ability, you could just. There's no such thing as a hangover back then downtown Green Bay, Tom. I don't even remember that time in my life so long ago well thanks so much for hanging spoon it's awesome to see you uh just unreal insight as always so packersnews.com at tom silverstein uh, anything up right now that people should uh look look for and read if they want to try the live blog it is free you can get on our um website on js online or packersnews.com and I'll be doing it tonight when they play the 49ers. If you want to check it out, um, there will be a link. You'll see it there um, in the Packers section. And it's a lot of fun. So, you know, come along and join that. We got a podcast too. Um, and then I'll be doing the Butler stuff come the first week of the regular season. Awesome. We'll be checking it all out. And it's, Great to see you, man. I don't know what took us so long. Shame on me for, you know, waiting this long to get you on the pod and got to get out there and and hang out in the flesh. Miss hanging out. It's a good time. Yeah, well, I'll see you, maybe see you in a couple of months, right? Uh, Packers are out in Buffalo this year. Let's do it. Heck yeah. Yeah. And next podcast, we have to talk about the time we almost died in Chicago. Oh, God. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe not. It was yeah. The no, that was, was yeah. I've tried to forget that, but yeah. Every time oh, I'm driving man. down the short drive, it does come up. Yeah, I'll never forget sitting in that back seat and seeing that truck coming like a bat out of hell. As I mean, really, it's oh, even though you were going into that lane, he he came out of nowhere. He was going like a hundred miles an hour. Yeah, and, yeah. and it was snowing, and and right. the back window was full of snow and yeah i don't even want to think oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i mean seriously no, that's ride, okay. i remember turning and thinking that we were going to get in a huge crash and turning and bracing like that and then like, <laughs> seeing my life flash before my eyes and thank god tom you're driving that rental car and you you swerved at the last split second right and we lived i don't even remember if it's a Oof. flash yeah so Oh, yep. man, I got my, my heart's racing all over. <laughs> I know, I know. I've been through a couple um, planes, trains, and automobiles. Once Bedard and I were flying, and our plane supposedly started on fire, and the, the captain comes on and says, 
Well, we're getting a signal here that uh, our wing is on fire, so we're going to make an emergency landing. I don't think it is on fire, but we're getting that signal. <laughs> <laughs> so we landed with all these fire trucks and stuff. That was crazy, too. We should make that a new segment, then. We'll just, uh, you know, just, I mean, you, you probably have Travel. enough stories to share. Yeah, plenty of them. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, anyway, Tom, and, yeah. and thanks, everybody, for listening.